Turn with me your Bibles to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Let's continue our studies in Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. We're going to look at verses 22 to chapter 4, verse 1. I'd like to call the editor up and ask him why he ended that section at 4-1 or started a new chapter. But I guess I'll never know. But uh, in the Greek, it goes till verse 1 of chapter 4. Uh, I'll read verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1 to set the context. So begin reading at verse 18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Amen. Let us pray. Our great God, we are thankful for your great salvation. Thank you for the work of the second person of the Trinity. Thank you that he took on human flesh and in him the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. Thank you for the incarnation. Thank you for his coming. Thank you for his humiliation. Thank you for his dying. But thank you for his rising. Thank you that he is exalted to the right hand of God the Father and he sits at your right hand even now and reigns supreme. Thank you that he is the head of the church and he builds his church. His church is knit together. Thank you that you teach us in your word. Uh, you teach us in your gospel how we ought to live in light of that gospel. And thank you that even here we see specific application for how we ought to live concerning our jobs. Thank you for the dignity of, of jobs. Thank you for the diligence that you ask of us. And we pray that we, your people, wherever we are in our vocations, would be diligent, we would be industrious, that we would not be lazy, but we would honor our employers, we would honor those we care for, and we would do so because we have a heavenly master and because we seek to serve you. So thank you for your practicality. Thank you for theology. Thank you for who you are and what you've done. Help us to put off the old man because we have and help us to put on the new man because we have. And may this apply to our employee, employer relationships. May this apply to the economic sphere as well. And thank you for your wisdom that you give to us and your commands that teach us how we ought to live. So we pray that today would be a day of sanctification for your people. Please encourage us. Please uplift us. Please rebuke us if we've been lazy in our task. Thank you that there is mercy and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also pray for masters as well, that they would be kind and gracious and fair. And we pray, though, for those that do not know you, we pray that you would save their souls. Please work in them a mighty work. Thank you that you do redeem sinners from their slavery to sin. And thank you that you make them free in Christ Jesus. So we pray that you do that today. And we pray that you give us illumination by your spirit to understand what is going on here. And we pray in all things you would be glorified. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, as I became a Christian and after I became a Christian and spent quite a bit of time in the evangelical circle, uh, it occurred to me that many had a misconception about the greatest calling in this world, about what is the greatest vocation 
uh, in this present world in which we live. Some people think the greatest calling for anybody would be to be a pastor or a missionary, and that perhaps we're not really engaging in kingdom work unless we're doing something quite like that, or perhaps some other sort of vague definition of what service actually looks like. You're not really serving the Lord if you're not a life group leader. You're not really serving the Lord if you're not in a worship band. You're not really serving the Lord if you're not doing children's ministry. You're not really serving the Lord if you're not doing some sort of youth ministry. Well, those things aren't necessarily wrong per se, but what about the idea of being a slave? And this is what Paul deals, uh, teaches us here in chapter 3 and chapter 4. And Peter does it in other places. Paul does it in other places, not just here in Colossians chapter 3. He reminds us where our Christian service actually lives, where we can, or, uh, where we can actually engage in our Christian service, how we can live a kingdom life in this present age in which we live in. And while the pastoral ministry is a high calling and a missionary work, which I believe is just pastoral ministry and church planting and other parts of the world, that is a high calling. We shouldn't diminish the dignity and validity of other vocations. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Most people are not going to be pastors or missionaries. Most people are going to have regular, everyday sort of jobs. And the beauty is we can honor and glorify God in those jobs that he has given to us. And we see this uh, with this slave-master relationship. There is application to the modern employee-employer relationship, but Paul addresses bondservants and masters. And remember, throughout the book, or the main idea of the book is, as you've received Christ, so then walk in him. He's given general exhortation about what our heavenly life looks like. Put off the old man, put on the new, put off anger, malice, put off fornication, put off uncleanness, put on tender mercies, put on meekness, put on kindness, be forgiving and forbearing with one another. Then he transitions to the specifics we looked at how husbands and wives can care for one another, how children and fathers or children and parents ought to live in light of their heavenly calling. And then today, it's bondservants and masters. And I hope you see that the problem is very clear. Lazy bondservants or lazy employees and unfair masters. There can be lazy people who are not diligent in their tasks, who are men pleasers or all about eye service rather than honoring God most high. Now, unbelievers should work hard. We should all work hard in whatever job we have, but especially believers. Whatever job you have in this world, you must work hard as if unto the Lord. And there is the problem of unfair masters. Masters who are superior in this earthly relationship, but still must treat their bondservants well. Certainly without threatening, that's in Ephesians 6, but also to pay them well. You need to make sure that they're taken care of. You must pay them on time. You must make sure they have what is needed uh, for life in this world. So that is the problem. Lazy bondservants, unfair masters, and Paul writes to deal with that in Colossians 3, verses 22 through 4, 1. And here he gives commands for how bondservants and masters can live the heavenly life. How we all can have a heavenly life in the regular vocation, the regular jobs that God has given to us. And we'll look at this under two headings this morning. First of all, we'll see bondservants must obey, verses 22 through 25. 
Then we'll see how masters must be fair. So how bond servants must obey, obey verses 32 through 25. And then how masters must be fair in chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, and just right off the bat, this first point is going to be longer than the second point, namely because it takes up a lot of verses. I just want you to be aware if I'm going a long time on point number one. But uh, verses 22 through 25, bond servants must obey. And notice we see the charge and those addressed in verse 22. Bond servants obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Now, some history is important here. A lot of woke tards kind of read the Bible and they see the idea of slavery and they freak out, right? They're like, well, the Bible endorses slavery. And usually in their mind, they have the idea of the American slave trade. And brethren, the American slave trade was terrible. That is man-stealing. We're not for man-stealing. Man-stealing was absolutely wrong. But man-stealing was only one form of slavery. And in the Greco-Roman world, slavery made up a massive part of society. In fact, one-third of those who lived in, the, in Ephesus were actually slaves. And so there are many ways one could become a slave. Yes, man-stealing was one of them, and that was not right. Whether it was by war, whether it was by piracy, that was wrong. But there are other ways as well. Exposure. What happened was is that if someone didn't want their babies in the Greco-Roman world, they would just put their babies on the trash, trash heap. And so slave traders would go and find babies and raise them to be, uh, uh, to be slaves. I know that's terrible. That's horrific. We live in a terrible fallen world. Uh, but that's, I'm just telling you what happened. Uh, sometimes people would also sell their children or sell themselves to pay off debts. That's another way someone would become a slave. Others, it was to receive, it was a condemnation. They did something wrong and they had to pay it back. Guess how? By way of slavery. You see this in the Old Testament as well. If someone steals something from someone, they have to pay it back. And it could be after seven years that the master in the Old Testament could release that slave. He could set him free and give him all these good things to, to make him uh, go Free. So there are many ways one could become a slave, not just man-stealing. It was a major, major part of society. Uh, and there was, uh, it varies on the life one could have as a slave as well. Some were imperial slaves. Some were working in the mines. Some were temple slaves. They were cultural slaves on wealthy, wealthy estates. Ones who took care of domestic affairs. Ones who were teachers. Ones who took care of matters and business for their masters. Really, depending on which slave you were, it could either be a very good life or it could be a very debased life. But the point is, we don't just read slavery and go man-stealing, and that's all that it is, and freak out, because there's more to it than just that. Now, it is true, though, that a slave had no legal rights, and they were subject to the absolute power of the master. That is true. So while it could be a good life, one did not have any rights. And that plays an important role uh, for what we see here, an important role for as we consider theologically what Jesus does for us as he redeems us from our slave, uh, slavery to sin. But the historical context is important, and there are many ways one could become a slave. And so he comes and addresses these ones who were in the church. And the implication is these slaves were believers. These slaves came to knowledge, saving knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. These slaves were children of God, yet they still had their social status. And notice he says, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Notice he says, obey. Don't liberate yourselves. 
There was a societal order and societal function. While it, is po it was possible that a Christian master could release a Christian slave, it was not always the case. Maybe they needed them. Maybe they, maybe they were useful. Maybe they were helpful. We don't know all the ins and outs, uh, per se, of the private situation between the bondservant and the master. But Paul says, obey. You must obey them in all things. You must submit to them in all things. You must receive instruction, receive it well, execute your task well, and do so with cheerfulness. And you must do so in all things lawful, and according to your job description, according to what your task is, if we apply that to mo our modern context, we must know what our job description is. And an employer can't tell us to go above and beyond what that is. If you work at McDonald's, you can't do your laundry for your master. You're not supposed to, for your boss. That's not what you're supposed to do. Whatever your job description is within that, but also all things lawful. A master also cannot tell you to sin. A master cannot tell you again to go against your heavenly master, but in all things lawful. If that is your task, if that is your job, whatever they ask, you must do so with cheerfulness. You must do so with graciousness. You must do so and execute one's job well. And notice when he says masters according to the flesh, it does refer to earthly masters. Well, that's whether one is a believing master or an unbelieving master. And Paul Peter does address how one should live uh, uh, towards one who is an unbelieving master. And he says in 2 Peter, or sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 18, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. That's hard, isn't it? He goes on to say, for this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering, uh, and suffering wrongfully. That is, if your master tells you to sin or go against God and you say no, you might suffer for that. And he says that very much here. Verse 20, what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And notice the example he gives. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us. Christ suffered in our stead. Christ bore reproach upon himself that we might have life in him. And we must also be gracious and patient. He says, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. What is our life of righteousness? If one was a slave, it's to honor their earthly master as they honor their heavenly master. So if one was an unbeliever, one must honor them, but especially if one was a believing master. This is in 1 Timothy 6, 2. Paul says, and those who have believing masters, let them not despise them. Why would uh, believing bondservants despise believing masters? Because they would assume, well, I'm liberated in Christ. Can you liberate me, please? 
It might not, again, it might not, for whatever reason, the master might not be able to do that very thing. And so they might despise them. Well, you're not liberating me. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what God says. That's not what Paul says. Paul says, obey them. And if one is a believing boss, you need to have extra zest. That's what G.K. Beale says. I like that language. Extra zest as you honor your boss. You should have zest as you honor your unbelieving boss as well, but especially your believing boss, because they are a fellow in the Lord Jesus Christ. They are a fellow believer who are, uh, because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. That's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 2. Now, sometimes there are bad uh, masters, and we'll talk about that more in just a second. Sometimes there are bad Christian masters, and we'll talk about that in, in a little bit as well. But we must, bond servants must honor them. Do obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. And notice he explains the manner. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. What he means here, I think you all understand this. I think we all innately understand this because it drives us nuts when we see it, right? It's someone who, when their boss is watching them, they're working as hard as possible. And then when their boss walks away for a while, then they stop doing their job. (laughs) They engage, they become lazy. Well, my boss isn't watching me. I'm just going to do whatever I want. That's not what we're supposed to do as believers. That's not what we're supposed to do as ones who are called them, call themselves Christians and employed. We must have a oneness of heart. That's what sincerity means. Not a divided heart for the master when he's there and, not for, and then not for the master when he's not there, but always in sincerity of heart doing what is right cheerfully. Davenant compares men pleasers and fawners and all those about eye service to comedians and actors. He says, servants of this kind are like actors on the stage. For as comedians who act in order to, believe, to please and study to please that they may thereby obtain benefit, do not mount the stage unless when the people are beholding and looking on. So these men pleasers move not a hand to labor unless when they have their masters beholding and applauding them. We must work hard whether our masters see us or not. And the reason we must work hard is because we fear God. We must have sincerity in heart because we fear God. Because we fear the Lord. If God is our master, if the Lord Jesus Christ is our master... It doesn't matter whether our earthly masters see us or not. It doesn't matter whether our earthly employers see us or not. We must honor God and do the task that God has given to us diligently, industriously, and not in a lazy sort of way, just because nobody is watching. It gives us dignity, doesn't it? It gives us purpose, whatever job we have, because we don't just honor our, mas- our earthly masters, but we are honoring our heavenly master. So s- sincerity is our calling and the basis for why we are not to be fawners and men pleasers is because of God. We believe on Christ. We fear him above all. We don't want to offend him above all. And so because we don't want to offend our God above all, we obey our earthly masters. And he continues this line of reasoning in verse 23. Whatever you do, do it heartily, 
Do it from the soul is how it's uh, what the Greek says as to the Lord and not to men. Yes, we honor men, but more importantly, we honor God. More importantly, we do it to honor him and glorify him in our jobs. We do it again with a oneness. This builds on what was said in 317. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Here's how you do that. Whatever you do, whatever your boss asks of you in within the bounds of your job, you must do it heartily. If you have to crawl up into an attic that's filled with spider webs to shove some wires down the, down the, 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 uh, the studs and it's hot and gross, you have to do that. It doesn't matter. That is actually a personal story from when I was an electrician that I had to do. And uh, there was a bit of a fight with another guy who didn't want to do it. But we have to go up there and do that and shove those wires down when the boss asks us to do that very thing. It's not fun, it's gross, but that's our job, and we have to do that very thing. I'm sure whatever job you have, there's something about your job you don't like, right? But you must do it heartily unto the Lord. You must do it with sincerity unto the Lord. You must do it with zest unto the Lord God Most High, because God sees. God sees everything that you do. See how theology is practical? The fact that God is everywhere present and God is all-knowing? God sees all. And if our God sees all, we ought to honor our God uh, in all things. As you serve the Lord, uh, as you serve men, you serve the Lord, but the main motivation is driven by our work for the Lord God most high. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And then notice in verses 24 and 25, he gives further reasoning as to why. And I think verse 24 gives us what awaits the slave and what awaits all of God's people, namely our everlasting inheritance when Christ comes back. And then verse 25, there is the promise of final judgment. And so verse 24 is for the slave. And this is where we, when we think about the fact that slaves had no rights and they had no right to any inheritance, it makes this all the more remarkable. Verse 24. Knowing that from the Lord, you, bondservants, will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve or are a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. You may not receive your due in this world, but because of who you are in Christ, you have a heavenly inheritance that awaits you. And again, that is remarkable for a slave to hear that they have something that is unfading, undefiled in the heavenly places. They have a hope that awaits them. Notice how future hope helps us in the present life we live. Our future hope of a heavenly reward helps us in this world to, uh, with, how we, uh, with respect to the lives in which uh, we live. A bondservant who had a hope of a heavenly reward that was meant to drive him and to spur him unto honoring uh, and obeying his master, because you know that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. And perhaps there is some allusion to the Old Testament, uh, certainly the land grant given to the Old Covenant people, they received an inheritance. Uh, Joshua 18, 7. Uh, there's the language of inheritance in Colossians 1, 12. We give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. It is a blessing. 
It is a reward. It is something that waits. And when we say reward, they're not saying they earn it. We're not saying servants earn it. But again, receive an inheritance imply it's a gift that is given. And reward teaches us that it's like receiving one's due. But we don't earn that. That reward is given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And even this slave who is released from his slavery to sin, even if though he still had to live a life of so-called bondage to the earthly master, he was free in his heart and he had an inheritance that awaited him. And that inheritance was meant to spur him on to honor his master and honor his Lord in the present life in which he lived. For you serve the Lord Christ. Above and beyond, above all, brethren, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been saved and released from your slavery to sin, you are now a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. You are a slave to righteousness. We honor him and glorify him. We've been transferred from one harsh master of sin to a loving, gracious master in Christ, whose yoke is easy and his burden is light and who gives rest for our souls because of what he has done. We have a heavenly master and we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So bond servants, employers, all of us, we have an inheritance that awaits us. And may that spur us on to whatever we do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So there's the promise of a reward. It shall come at the consummation. There's also the promise of final judgment. Now, a lot of ink is spilt. Not a lot of ink, but there are a lot of the commentators debate on what verse 25 means and who he is referring to here. Uh, is it slaves? Is it masters? Is it both? Uh, if you take both or just masters, you're probably right. So I take the master side, though. I'm kind of focusing on primarily he's talking about masters. So we're starting to bleed into uh, chapter 4, verse 1. But he's still speaking to the slave here. And I think that what he's saying here is vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And I think verse 25 is especially considering uh, tyra tyrannical masters. If you have a harsh master, obey the Lord for vengeance is mine. And the reason being is that there is a tense change in verse 25. Notice you, 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 bond servants, you, here's what you do. And then he, but he who had does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. And there is no partiality. Also in Ephesians six, he's talking about to masters there. And he says to masters, there is no partiality. Why does he say that? Because masters are prone to think because they're not a slave and because they own slaves, that they're better than their slaves. Slaves were considered like the lowest of the low in society. And so they thought they were better. People do that all the time. People frown, people look down, people think they're better than one another. And so masters, especially over and against their employ, uh, their bond servants, they thought they were greater. And so they might think when they got to heaven on that final day and that standing before the judgment seat, Hey, I'm a master. Let me in Lord. The Lord shows no partiality. He doesn't look upon status, but he looks upon the heart in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek slave nor free male nor female, or as Paul says, in 3.11, neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. What that means is in Christ Jesus, salvation is not based on one's status. 
but it's based upon faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't nullify the earthly order that God has set up, but there is, uh, it highlights that one, even if one is a bondservant, they are free and saved in their heart and conscience in Christ Jesus. And so if a bondservant has to deal with a harsh master, then he knows that one day final judgment shall come. One day he shall be repaid. That's what I think is going on with verse 25 here. And again, this is so very different to our modern context. You got a harsh boss, you can leave, right? You got a terrible boss, you can find another job, hopefully with relative ease. Bond servant did not have that luxury. They did not have some sort of, you know, indeed.com to go find another job somewhere. It really was, this is it. <laughs> this, is where, this is where I am. And they had to deal with it. Now, thankfully, again, there can be good masters. God can save hearts, change hearts. God is good that way. But, God, uh, but it was something they had to very much deal with. So bond servants obey. And if there's a harsh master, final judgment is coming. He who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done. For there is no partiality. God is, cannot be bribed. Deuteronomy 10. God is the God of fairness. And thankfully, God is the one who judges fairly those who do not believe on Christ. And God does judge, or God judges, uh, poured out his judgment upon Christ Jesus that we might have life uh, in him. Justice must be satisfied, whether it's in Christ or in one's own sins. Now, it is true. It's unfair that we're saved, right? That's not fair. In reality, we deserve everlasting death, but in Christ, his righteousness, his, uh, he, he had the wrath of God poured out upon him that we might have life in and through him. But on that day, God show, judges and shows no partiality. You're either in Christ or you're against Christ. doesn't matter how much money you have or how many servants you had. It's based on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Now... We've touched on a few of the application a little bit throughout, but the application, I do believe, is very clear for employees. Two Ds. There's dignity in our jobs, and there's diligence that we ought to engage in. Dignity in all jobs that are not sinful, and they can be God-honoring. This doesn't just apply to employees. Students, too, if you're a student, you ought to work hard and get the best grades as possible. God has created this world. There is a created order Noahic covenant, that there's order in this world, even just in the way God created the world, but also as new covenant believers, we are to recognize the jobs that God has given to us and recognize that there is dignity in them. Again, that's tough sometimes. We sometimes, at least again, for my you know, spiritual life, when I first got saved, it was all you have to do this, you have to serve here. That's the, where you know, your kingdom life is. And so sometimes we diminish those everyday menial jobs. And in fact, I've told this story before, so if you heard it again, you can tune out for two minutes. But uh, years ago when I was a landscaper, started going to Free Grace Baptist Church, and someone asked me what I did for a job at a luncheon. I said, well, I'm just a landscaper. Pastor Butler's sitting, you know, a couple seats over, and he looks and he goes, you're a landscaper for the glory of God. I think that's absolutely right, isn't it? That's, the, that's, the, that's the, 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 the disposition we need to have towards our jobs. Whatever job one has that is not lawful, you know, prostitution is not a lawful job. Whatever, one, whatever a job one has that's not sinful and lawful is dignifying. 
We ought to recognize that and realize we can honor God and glorify God in those areas. Davenant says we are not, therefore, to consider how honorable our vocation may be, but labor rather that whatever in truth it may be, so that it is lawful and honest, it may be discharged well by us and with a good conscience. So we can have dignity in our jobs, but also we need to be diligent then in our jobs. The Eighth Commandment isn't just don't steal, it's also be industrious, as the Children's Catechism says, that we must be the hardest worker possible. We must be invaluable to our employer. We must be unfireable to our employer. We must make our employer the most money possible as we work hard for them. Why? Because we fear God. And again, one of the greatest travesties I noticed as a landscaper is that many of the Christians were not the hardest workers. It was the unbelievers. That's not right, brethren. Believers should be the hardest working employers out there, not the laziest employers out there. And in fact, when I consider my own conversion, when I consider what God did in my life, one of the biggest signs was this. I was lazy and then I worked hard. That was like the biggest sign that God saved my soul. In fact, when I was working as an electrician, the one guy was like, yeah, you were really close to being fired. In fact, when I work at SportsCheck, I didn't show up for my last three or four weeks of work, and I didn't get fired because I was quitting anyway, but still not right. But then God saved my soul, saved me, and yeah, hard work was important. Hard work is what he instilled, uh, still, uh, instilled in me, but laziness is not right. Laziness violates the Eighth Commandment, and Christians especially should be the hardest workers on the planet. Davenant says, for he who fears or respects men alone will be changeable and inconstant in discharging any office because he is directed by an uncertain rule. But the fear of God is constant and firm in the bosoms of the pious because God is always present to them, never ought or can be imagined as absent. So brethren, may we be diligent in our work and may we be uh, see the dignity in our work that God has given to us in this, li- in this life under the sun. So bondservants must obey. Masters then must be fair in chapter 4, verse 1. And notice he says, verse 1, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair. That is the charge proper. What he's saying here is pay them well. Ephesians highlights don't threaten them. Uh, masters realize that they don't have as much power as they think. Pharaoh realized this in the book of Exodus chapter 1. Remember, he's like, all the Hebrews, there's too many of them. Let's be harsher upon them so we can scare them. Because they knew if they you know, kept growing, that they would probably overtake the Egyptians. He was fearful of that very thing. So he ruled with fear. That's what tyrants typically do. And, so they were, and even masters were fearful of their slaves in a lot of ways because the slaves knew where they lived. The slaves knew where the money was. The slaves knew lots of things about their masters. So they were fearful of them. So how did they rule? With fear. So in Ephesians, he says, masters, don't be that way. Rule with kindness, rule with respect. And then here in Colossians, pay them well. Give them what is just and fair. Perhaps the the word just here refers to a just wage according to natural and human law. Don't underpay them. Make sure they have a good living wage. Don't delay in paying them 
either. Edie says to place them in plenty of everything and not allow them to stand in need of others, but to recompense them for their labors. Yes, they need to treat them well, but the main thing here is pay them. Pay them a proper wage, worthy of their wages. Just, and then also notice fair. Now here it is, uh, certainly he ought to pay all his bond servants fairly, but perhaps fair here refers to especially those who are fellow believers, as fellow Christians. Again, even though they have a different standing in society, if your bondservant's a believer, you are equal in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so treat them as such. Davenant says, For earthly masters buy their servants for silver and gold. Christ buys them with his precious blood. They redeem the body alone, and that for another service. Christ redeems both soul and body for perpetual liberty to him. Be just and fair. Treat him well and pay him well. Now, perhaps a good illustration of the situation with slavery is what we will see uh, in the book of Philemon. Certainly, Paul does, you know, ask uh, Philemon concerning Onesimus, uh, uh, his slave who left him, got saved, and Paul is saying, please receive him back. It, perhaps it's not necessarily saying re- receive him from uh, or release him, but there was still an order. Verse 18, but if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. So Paul is trying to send Anesimus back to Philemon, uh, but as one who is now a brother in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he must be treated well still. They must be treated with justness and fairness and notice uh, um, uh, why. Knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Earthly masters have a heavenly master. And if a master, again, he's addressing believers here. If they are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then they must recognize and realize that they serve somebody else. And if they serve somebody else, they must then to rule and serve in a proper way. Again, there is Christian language in Romans 6, slave to sin, now a slave to righteousness. That is all who are in Christ Jesus. Even one who is an employer over employees or a master over bondservants, a master has a heavenly master, he must serve as well. You were once in your sin, you were once a slave to sin, now you're a slave to righteousness, slave to God to serve him, Ergo, you have a master who is in heaven. Therefore, pay your servants well. Pay your employees well. You have a heavenly master who is patient, kind, and pities. So I think the application, again, is very clear. Employers, be fair. There isn't just the travesty of a Christian uh, lazy worker, but there's the travesty of a Christian boss. Cheap or don't pay on time. I've worked several menial types jobs. I was an electrician. I did just general construction. I did landscaping. Um, uh, two out of the, all three were believers, but only one paid on time and one paid fairly. That's not right, dear brethren. That is not how uh, masters are to treat their, uh, their, their, their masters to treat their bond servants and employers ought to treat their employees. They must be fair. And notice again, this is kingdom work, isn't it? (laughs) How can one serve God most high? Well, if you work for somebody, work hard. 
How can you serve God most high? If you own a company and you employ other people, here's how you honor God most high. You pay them fairly and pay them on time. I don't care if you go on a million missions trips. I don't care if you do uh, uh, tons of service during the week. If you're lazy in your job and you're a harsh master, that is a garbage witness, isn't it? That is a terrible witness to the Christian life in which we live. Now, brethren, thankfully, there's mercy and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'd rather have someone who is diligent in their jobs, who works hard in their jobs. And this is exactly what I said for wives and husbands and children and fathers. I'd rather have families that are strong. I'd rather have marriages that are strong than having this vague understanding and definition of what service is to the neglect of all of these things. Brethren, this is our kingdom life. This is our heavenly life. This is what God has called us to do, to be diligent, to be fair. And uh, it primarily comes in the realm of the home and the realm of our everyday life. This is how we are, if we've been raised with Christ, we seek those things that are above. This is how we put on those blessed things that we have in the new man. It's in our mundane, everyday situations, honoring God with our work, and masters being fair to their servants, employers being fair to their employees. Now, thankfully, brethren, uh, God's word and scripture uses slavery-type language to describe our salvation. Where do you think the word redemption comes from? Redemption comes from the realm of slavery, one who was emancipated, one who's been set free, That's what redemption means. And when it comes to our salvation, that's what Christ does for us. We were once slaves to sin. Now we are redeemed in him, purchased by his blood, that we might honor and glorify our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is where our redemption lies. He is the one who's redeemed us from that, that in him we might have life. And if you're an unbeliever here today, you're not in Christ, you are a slave to sin. You are chained to your sin, and you'll be chained forever should you die before Christ comes back. But believe on Christ, and you shall be set free. You shall have life in him and redeemed in the blood of the Lamb. Let us pray. Our great God, please forgive us for our failures as employees and employers, as students and teachers. Uh, in all manner of duties in which you called us to. Please forgive us for our laziness. Please forgive us for our um, dividedness in our work. Please help us as those redeemed and saved, as those who have an eternal inheritance, as those who serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help us to be industrious. Please help us to be God-honoring. Please help us to be obedient uh, to our earthly masters. Help us to honor you in this way. Thank you that you teach us what kingdom life looks like. Uh, and thank you that you help us in this. Thank you that there is mercy and forgiveness for our failures in Christ Jesus. So please forgive us and wash us afresh in the blood of Christ. For those who have employees, those who have their own businesses and, and employ others, we pray that you'd help them to be fair, help them to be just, help them to treat their uh, employee, uh, employees well. 
And we pray that this would be a good witness, that we pray that our hard work would be a good witness. We pray that we would honor and glorify you in all that we do. So thank you for your gospel that it saves. Thank you for your gospel that works. Thank you that as we've received Christ, so may we walk in him. And would you help us to walk uh, in Christ in our daily vocations? So we also pray for those that do not know you. We pray that you would save their souls, show them that they are in slavery to sin, and may they find freedom and redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Be with us now by your spirit. And we pray that you be honored and glorified in all things. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.